Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Hello, 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 everybody! And welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And it's the two of us today. Just it is old two school. Two of us. That song's going to pay co- royalties on this song. <laughs> Grover Washington, man, still raking it in for his one hit song. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome to that the movie show with Joel and Ryan. And doesn't sing on. He just plays the saxophone on the big, long, nine-minute album version, which no one's even <laughs> ever heard. But he came up with it, and then, and then obviously it's been sampled a gajillion times in, uh, and, yeah, and remade. And- Joe Samples, uh, not ironically, you know, his electric piano sound has, but not the sax. That Grover Washington's a saxophone player. He's a jazz, light jazz saxophone player. He's barely has any presence on that song in the version you hear on the radio. I just think that's funny. It's We should consider it a Bill Withers song because he's singing it. But he yeah. didn't write it either. So it's just a manufactured pop of its day, you know. No, nobody yeah. nobody whose name is associated with it really had much of anything to do with it. The sax solo, to be fair, is really good. But Yeah, yeah. But it's not well, so good welcome. that they felt, yeah. they felt that it couldn't survive on the radio without it. There. Right. That's the third, well, third to, and most yeah. substantive time we've talked about that song <laughs> on this show. What? Yeah, welcome to Saxophone Talk. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. <laughs> and uh, we're here to talk about everything regarding all, saxophone solos. All the great lost saxophone solos <laughs> in pop music history. Uh, it's the podcast you never knew you needed <laughs> and probably still don't. I can't remember, um, but there was a 30 Rock episode. Maybe I've talked about this before. It's relevant to our show, but uh, Liz is like thinking that she's become totally irrelevant in her own life and her own career. And she comes walking in this dream sequence. She walks down this very Hollywood-esque you know, street and mm-hmm. walks by this poster for Transformers 11 or whatever. And it says, written by nobody. And and these figures appear to her out of the fog. And she's like, what's going on? Who are you? And they're like, I was a travel agent. I played hot saxophone solos on rock and roll songs and stuff. And they're all these people who their Uh whole reason for being is gone now. And she sees herself as that as well. And I, I thought that was so funny at the time. The woman who plays the travel agent is my friend, Christine Toya Johnson. She's, I mean, it's the yeah. one line, it's, but it's, it's this, a great bit. Yeah. It's this haunting thing. You know what I mean? And she's this mm-hmm. hollow haunted look. 
Mm-hmm. And, and yep, hers like, almost, I like the saxophone one because to me that's like, you know, we used to have that all perfect. the time and now literally well, yeah. there, there are none of those. But but the travel agent's the best because think of that was somebody that was people's careers for ages, and now yeah. and they just completely got replaced by your phone. I if I remember correctly, like the last time my dad and stepmother decided to take a trip because they and they don't travel very often. <laughs> I believe they went to our old family friend uh, Sue, this, uh, this woman, Sue that we know, um, who was a travel agent. And I believe they went, we're, you know, we're want to book a vacation, you know, and, and she like went, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and she's like, well, Go with God, you, you know, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> well, there's this thing called the internet that you can pretty much do everything yourself. Yeah, but that's scary uh, to some folks. I get that. That but, is. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 all right. Uh, oh, yeah. My, uh, you know, to you're talking about saxophone. So it, it just it made me think like uh, Rob Lowe's character in Stain Almost Fire. That's what he is. He's a rock saxophonist. Yeah. And we're and, you know, and we're and, and watching that we're supposed to be like, oh, my God, he is the coolest. That dude's going to be a star like his character is going to be a rock god. Little did he know. <laughs> It, that just right around the corner, he was going to be completely obsolete. I mean, just a yep. few years later, you know, we were joking about that last night too, because we were watching a couple of scary movies that from around 2002, 2004 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And my friend who I was watching, she asked me, you know, when, when is this? And I'm like, it's kind of funny that you can't tell. Cause if we were watching a movie and it, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, if we, you can tell if you see a phone or there's a few things where if you see them, it's different, but fashions, hair, everything, it all is the same. Basically the cars don't even look that different. And mm-hmm. I was like, if we were watching a movie in 1989 that took place in 1975, I mean, the profound difference in culture and in style and stuff would be, would just jump out and smack you in the face. And I just yeah. thought that was kind of a weird phenomenon. So I don't know. Uh, we've gone a little, this is interesting maybe, but we've gone a little off track, I think. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we, I, this might be my favorite uh, beginning of a show that we've done in a very long time, because I love this tangent of just talking about saxophones. I'm trying to get, saxophones. I'm trying to, this is like the warm up <laughs> act, you know, we're starting the show a little early today. That's <laughs> yeah, true. That's true. I'm, in I'm sort still of in a, coffee mode. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm in a little bit of a weird mood. I feel a little bit like uh, Michael Landon and one of those highway to heaven episodes where like he loses his faith, shakes his fist at the heavens and screams at God. <laughs> Uh, and I guess by I'm, that uh, metric, yeah. we, we're talking about the the right guy because he's one of the crustiest dudes in all of Hollywood history. Really, he, he absolutely is. Today we are going to be doing a uh, a countdown of uh, looking into the career, the top ten movies as decided by uh, by Joel and Ryan. Um, very much, uh, <laughs> very very few agreements on our top ten list, but no, that's they what were, you get we when were you get a agreement. guy. To be fair, we were in agreement on almost the entire list. We just had oh. stuff in radically different oh, okay. spots on the list. Oh, okay. Right, because um, uh, when you look at the top 10, your top 10 is there, right? It's just not, it's just all not where you thought it would be. And it's the same for mine. <laughs> mine is, yeah. it's all there. It's just, why is this here? You know, that kind of thing. So. Right. 
Right. Um, all right. Well, we are going to be looking at it. And that's what happens when you get a guy who uh, has had the kind of career, yeah. the, the breadth of work um, and, and uh, working for decades at like the highest level and, and not always needing to, to be the lead. You know, sometimes he's the lead. He really, really excels at um, at being, you know, that that, you know, sort of assassin supporting character that just comes in and steals the show um, and, and kills all his lines. We are talking about Eugene Allen Hackman. Um, and uh, yeah, so Gene Hackman. Um, you know what I didn't know? I was, it was fun looking up, um, some stuff. you know, Gene Hackman, uh, like left school at 16 and became a Marine. Yeah. I didn't know that. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, that was, uh, yeah. And he like served for, uh, you know, a good, like six, five, six years. Yep. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Dude, dude has had a life. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then of course, as it like went on to, uh, you know, he's written novels. He's had, you know, he's had full, full uh, families, you know, multiple marriages. Uh, and yeah. It's just, um, you know, the dude is, uh, yeah, the dude has been. It's very cool. And what, I yeah. mean, not, he's always sort of on our, our mind. He comes up on the show all the time, but the, the, the thing that made me think of him was that he came, I mean, he's been retired since, um, that same year I was just talking about, 2004. Four, and yeah. uh, he he kind of, I mean, he didn't come out of retirement, but he agreed to do an interview for the 50th anniversary for one of his most iconic roles. And it just reading the interview was so funny because it's like, what what did you even bother for? You know, he's trying to be nice, mm -hmm. but he's just not want to talk to people. And you could just feel it in the thing. And it's He's, he's being nice. He just is saying nothing useful. And I remember really uh, any interview I ever saw with him was, they were always the same. They were this, well, uh, you know, I don't know. It was like, well, they're like, what do you think of the lasting legacy of the film? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I know it helped my career, so I guess I'm grateful. Yeah, for that's that. My, that was my favorite line of. I know that <laughs> you sent me that. He's kind of like, what do you? He's, he's like, kind of trying well, to guess me. what they yeah. maybe want him to say, and he can't guess right. Even it's yeah. it, it's all business with him. And then they like, well, what do you think? You know the, that it changed movies and all this. He's like, well, it's it's a. He just starts going. Well, it's about this guy who's trying to do this thing. And it's just, <laughs> it's like we all, yeah. dude. We all know what it's about. You don't have to remind mm -hmm. us like the plot. It was such a funny interview and yeah. And he was like, he, he, he you know, he, um, he's like, you know, like, they're like, well, what do you think about the, yeah, the lasting legacy and, you, you know, and, and sort what of do you how think when you watch it, today. he's like, well, I haven't seen it. Since I haven't it, watched it since, <laughs> since it came out, <laughs> since I was in a dark room in 1971. You know, yeah. It's, uh, it was really, I mean, it was weird, and I'm sure the interviewer, would, they just do the best they can. They had an exclusive with Gene Hackman yeah. coming out of retirement, so yay, but it's such a worthless interview in such a wonderful way. He's so all about the task at hand and not about any of this other stuff, and I always, whenever you meet some guy like that, it's always like, wow. <laughs> wow that is cool yeah. you know <laughs> yeah so. uh all right well let's jump into our top 10 we, we better yeah our top 10 list of movies of the movies of gene 
Hackman. Ten seconds. Nine. Nine. Eight. Seven. Seven. Six. I know. Um, well, it's been deep dives and dogs. That's what uh, that's what our show has been uh, lately. Um, all right. So number ten is uh, is you you had uh, like in in our text exchange. I think you you sort of said, "Oh, this." You were talking about some of the movies that were very kind of. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word you use, but it's very like indicative of the kind of roles that he played. Um, you know, in it, certainly in this, in like the 2000s and stuff. Uh, but uh, in this one, it is Crimson Tide. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah Gene Hackman. Crimson and, Tide uh, is, it, 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 we, I, we accidentally, or I accidentally, what I was asking Joel what kind of show he wanted to do this week on Wednesday or something. I was like, uh, I said, hey, top 10 Gene Hackman, you know, because I just saw this interview. And I accidentally sent it to our little movie show with Joel and Ryan insiders yeah. thread. So this, you know, 12 other people or something got it. And they're all like, that's a good idea and stuff. And I was like, Who's, what's <laughs> happening? Um, but it's funny. They all have these different lists, but Crimson Tide was on a bunch of them. Crimson Tide mm -hmm. is really a really good performance. It's a very slick and... Hollywood thriller that is somewhat disposable if I'm being honest but uh it's loaded with really good uh, supporting cast but the, the real thing is Denzel and Hackman going at it Hackman mm -hmm. is outstanding in it the guy on the page is really exciting and fun and he just digs into that and leans into it and Denzel on the page is a little more enigmatic and weird, and he sort of leans into that. And the 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 two of them are at loggerheads just from the moment they meet each other, practically. And mm -hmm. I I I love that film. It's got a lot of tension in it. It's about several. It's about a mutiny and a bunch of reverse mutinies that happen on a nuclear submarine. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, when we think that the Soviet Union has gone rogue and invaded, you know, some Kazakhstan or something, I can't remember. Um, and they get a message that uh, wh while they're in the middle of combat with somebody, they get a message that they're supposed to launch all their nukes. And then it gets cut off and then they, they argue over whether... They go with the message that they have in hand, the partial message that they have, or they go with the. It's just, yeah, it, it's set up really smartly too by this difference in philosophy of this old school soldier and this young, up and coming like thoughtful, executive officer, you know, who's mm -hmm. serving amongst these people for the first time. Gene's just. He's got to say a lot of dumb stuff in it. A lot of very overwrite guys did script polishes on it, most famously Quentin Tarantino. And um, so it's got all these dialogue sojourns and all this stupidness. And, and that's fun. The, it's, it's right, mm -hmm. Joel? It's fun, but it's kind of like... Well, right. yeah. It makes you groan a little. 
it, nowadays. It makes you groan. It's yeah, it's it's you know the 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 quintessential moment for that is you know they're sitting there waiting for it, like the message that it is going to determine the fate of both of these guys, and he's just like, "You're seeing the the Lippensteiner horses, yeah, or whatever they're called, Lippensteiner stallions. Lippens, yeah, the Lippensteiner stallions." From Spain, beautiful or Portugal. From Spain, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you find out at the and, and end. De- Spoiler alert: the yeah. Crimson Tide. Yeah, and Denzel Washington just has he, he and, and you know this is what's great about it. He doesn't like, oh, uh, you know, he just is like, just staring right back at him. <laughs> Go on, yeah, talk all yeah, uh, and yeah. Denzel is great in this also because you have that, you know, the, early on the movie, you know, it, it's it, they have that great moment um, where they're. Uh, where they're standing up or like they're they're they haven't submerged yet and they're 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 looking out over it and gene hackman says like oh it's a, such a beauty you know it's a beautiful like this view i never get tired of this view it's beautiful and denzel says nothing and he goes yeah that's the right yeah like something like yeah like i like that you didn't answer yeah you didn't you, it, uh, somebody else would have talked through the moment and ruined it yep and uh yeah and that's and, the and last that, time they get along for the next two hours yeah it, it denzel's got this great moment in it the fun thing about the movie is that you literally can take either guy's side and you you and the other guy mm-hmm. becomes the villain it, it it really is written in a way that it it, 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 yep. it it's it's symmetrical from a character standpoint in a way that you can flip it either way which is really fun and uh <laughs> And it, but early in the movie, you know, they're talking about blah blah blah. What are our responsibilities? What are our roles to play in this situation? Stuff. That, it's the officers. You know, the scene from all these submarine movies have it. You know, uh, Hunt for Red October has got probably the best one. But they, it's all the officers sitting around, you know, finishing up lunch, having their coffee or whatever. And and it, it, he he says, you know, what do we, you know, what do we do in this case? And and in this or that he's the captain's throwing all these hypotheticals out to get the feel of where his officers are at psychologically. And Denzel's got the great line that, you know, in the, in the, in the modern world, the, it, it, the enemy isn't the other army or the other person, the enemy in the nuclear age, the enemy is war itself. And if you believe that, then you're on Denzel's side throughout the entire film, but they both, they both have a legitimate point of view. And and Hackman and Hackman's response, or Hack, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's right in that moment, but he he has the line, like we are here to protect democracy, not to practice it. Right. And so, like, and if you can, if you get on board with that line, then you're then you know you, it's easy to to go on uh, on Hackman's side on the. But it's uh, it's a very hyper film. It's a very jibber jabbery, noisy, exciting thing, and both those actors. But Hackman in particular, because he really is the blustery version. He he just every chance he has in the film, he he plays it low mm-hmm. and and calm, and you know what I mean. He doesn't play this guy who's off his rocker at all. It's right. really really awesome. It's and it, we were talking about Crimson Tide more than his performance in it now, but which is the danger of shows like these. But well, I don't right. know. When, but I mean, maybe we'll talk about Crimson Tide in a. Tony Scott episode or something? I don't know. It, 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 it It's one of those slick thrillers from uh, the late 90s. That it's really, really good. It's one of the best ones, really. I dig it. Yeah. And he's, he's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's super fun. His gravitas it's, in it is 
you know, and the way he speaks with authority, you need to have all that. And, and that alone just sort of makes the story complicated. And they wanted this story to be a complicated story. So, yeah. And um, and I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention one of my favorite actors is in this movie, George Zunza. Um, yeah, Zunza, and, and Zunza is, Matt you know, Craven, Viggo Mortensen, James Gandolfini. I mean, just up and down mm-hmm. the the roster of these other officers that are being pulled in every which direction. Zunza's fantastic in it. Yeah, he's really great. I love him. So yeah. I, I don't know what at what point we'll get to do a deep dive into George Zunza. Um, so I wanted to mention him. Um, all right. Uh, now, it, now, it, not on our list is another Tony Scott, uh, Gene Hackman uh, collab. Um, and that mm-hmm. is uh, Enemy of the State um, with, yeah. uh, with Will remember Smith. When, I remember when I did my solo show and it was 70s conspiracy mm-hmm. theories and one of our treasured listeners wrote me and was like, what about Enemy of the State? I'm like... Well, it's not that great, and it's not from the seventies. And I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, Unless, I mean, there is a very you know, nineteen ninety eight is is pretty seventies adjacent. It's only it the only reason we're talking about off. it here instead of later because it's connected with a much more wonderful film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> directly connected in a way it's not directly connected to Crimson Tide, but this is the next. This was the next Tony Scott film, and and because of his mm-hmm. experience on Crimson Tide, he showed up in it, and it's fun when he shows up in it. It's it, it is one of those uh, ringer, you know, parts that Joel was talking about at the beginning of the show, where it's just. Yeah. You know, all, all of a sudden you're watching some kind of movie and all of a sudden Gene Hackman's in it, you know, it's two thirds of the way through and it just becomes his show. And it's and we're grateful for that. It's a really, really fun bit of that film. That film's enjoyable if, again, a, a little much to be considered a, a classic of any kind. Yeah. And we'll get yeah. to the sort of character. He's not really playing the same character so much as he's emulating the same character, which is interesting from a later film. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. All right. For number nine, we go uh, back very early in uh, in Gene Hackman's career, uh, and that is his uh, fantastic Academy Award nominated um, turn in Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, as uh, as as Buck. Um, oh my God! What is his full name? Buck Barrow. Buck Barrow, right? He's Clyde Barrow's yep. brother or cousin. Brother. Or yep. Brother. Brother, I believe. It's good. He's kind of nice when, again, same kind of thing. He's not in a lot of the early parts of the movie. And then when he shows up, it's, you're really grateful for him because he, because, uh, you know, because basically because um, Warren Beatty as Clyde and, and Faye Dunaway as Bonnie are just not, they're really tough to pin down. And when we start spending a few longer bits of time with either their victims or their cohorts, those people help bring a little bit of reality to that story that it wouldn't have otherwise. And that, to me, that's Mm -hmm. always been his job in that. And he's, you know, he's fantastic in it. It, it, It's it's certainly at that time, it's definitely worthy of an Oscar nomination. Um, I'm just not a huge Bonnie and Clyde fan. I just think it's, I think of the movies we celebrate from the late sixties and early seventies. It's, it's one of the wankier of the, baby boomer mm. fantasy stories and i think that the mob movies or crime spree movies have been sort of done better since um that said 
he's pretty awesome in it. I can't deny it. He's one of the best things about it. Him and I guess the I, on the I flip am. side of him because he brings the weight and urgency to everything, which the film needs somebody to do at some point. It can't just be this dream like thing. And the right. other the other guy obviously is Gene Wilder who shows up late and it brings a lot of combat relief to it so that the, it doesn't you know. But they they yeah. do feel very even though they're both they weren't superstars at the time they do feel very much like ringers that appear suddenly in this film to do a task that's not even really very story related that's more like like a film tool kind of person. Right, right. I, I like what you said. You, you made a. I like your point because um, the whole movie. You know, the movie is a love story uh, between these two people that are you know, doing really horrible things. Right. Uh, and, and, but yet we're, we're, we get caught up uh, or we're asked, I should say, we're asked to get caught up in the love story. Uh, and then it isn't until Gene Hackman's character comes along that you kind of start, like, like you said, he brings that, he right. kind of starts to ground the movie again. Nope. It's to, a crime to, story. To, y'all. That's basically yeah. literally, it's not just him that does that, but his, his appearance coincides with the moment where that switch happens. And yeah. I do yeah, like so, that. Something has to change in that movie for it to become the classic that it is, and it comes just yeah. in time. So and uh, yeah, so I think that's a yeah, that's a really great point. Um, so that's our number nine film. A couple others uh, that you know, sort of in the in the sixties and seventies here. Uh, you know, we have Young Frankenstein, of course. Well, that oh, excuse me. How did that sorry. show up on people's list? I mean, he's hardly in that, and even what he does well, in it isn't anything. That's weird. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, it is. It's a. It's a great cameo. It's a really funny cameo. That's so unexpected, and you know, and I think it because. It, you know, you look at especially cool. his. Early, I agree. It's I mean, cool. Yeah. Um, but and young Frankenstein is his, great. So. Yeah. But you you know you look at his early career and you don't really see a whole lot of comedy, um, right. and I think uh, you know I think the fact that people were watching this and you know and this is you're going oh this is the guy from you know uh, the Poseidon Adventure and French Connection and all this other stuff and then all of a sudden you, and you're like oh my god that's Gene Hackman doing comedy and you know well, playing you know him Gene Wilder connection and, again i mean that's why it's yeah. we're mentioning it after Bonnie and Clyde cuz they were in that stuff fairly memorably together and maybe he's got some connection to Mel Brooks that i don't know about but i mean I, it feels like that's why that little bit happened and it is fun yeah yeah but it's, it feels it but it's more of a fun it, bit of trivia than a like awesome performance mm -hmm. that we need to honor so i was surprised people were listing it off Maybe they just haven't seen yeah, it, these other ones or something. Well, <laughs> I think, well, maybe there's that, but I also think that there's an element of um, it, it's become sort of a, a touchstone for famous cameos. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those, it, like you said, it's a trivia, it's like a trivia bit. It's, it's now a trivia bit that everyone knows and feels like they might be the only one to know this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm the um, only one who recognized Gene Hackman. <laughs> I, I really do actually believe that that was a real phenomena back when the, the film was new that people were, <gasps> and, and they thought that they were mm -hmm. in on the joke and in on the secret. And that's one of the joys of that moment. Not also, it's like you say, just he doesn't just show up to just do a task. He like he kind of nails it, and and so mm -hmm. you know, so that's what's cool about it. But it, you know, yeah, not top uh, ten. You know, we also have not top twenty yeah. really, even you know, 
Hold your horse. Uh, also from the seventies, also from the seventies that uh, didn't, that isn't going to make our list uh, an incredible um, ensemble uh, movie, a bridge too far. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, again, these are the reason I put these here is because they're, they're these, I mean, bridge too far. He's kind of in command literally and figuratively of um, an entire sequence in it. Like a lot of people are that are in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it's, you know, like Joel says, it's an ensemble movie without really a central character. You just keep kind of bopping through the story to one thing to the next. Um, and this is like, so it feels like a cameo. Everything in A Bridge Too Far feels like a cameo. Big, it's like a cameo. Big yeah. war movie. Uh, okay, now suddenly it's Elliot Gould's movie. Now it's Robert Redford's. Now it's Ryan Redford's O'Neill's. Yep. Now it's... Sean Connery's, I mean, Michael Caine, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And Hackman's right up the top. He's kind of in the, he's kind of in the Michael Caine, Gene Hackman, um, Sean Connery, you know, top tier. You know, it's the young guys, even like Redford and stuff, obviously, who's a superstar. They're, they're Redford and Gould and Ryan O'Neill, I think, are the second tier, which is fun. I mean, when you can get that sort of, all these leading men, and they right. play in second fiddle to all these big character actors just going for it. It's a fun film. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's clearly like Sir Richard Attenborough had something like he he had an idea to essentially probably try to do a movie with no leads or whatever, but literally get all the biggest superstar guys. Uh, yeah, you know, and and, and, and I'm sure I'm sure with a phone call, Richard Attenborough's like. <clears throat> hey, you want to come, you know, spend a week on set and, and, you know, you only have like a five day commitment and you'll get to shoot this stuff. And, and they're like, yeah, of course I'll be there. They all, I mean, I don't know who they offered stuff to that said no, but I mean, it feels like everyone mm-hmm. actually showed up in that one. It's a, yep. you know, it's a war satire film. Hackman's again, great in it, but he, it's a bit one note, but that's all it can really be when you're part mm-hmm. of a short story and not a full narrative. Uh, but it kind of goes along with these other small parts and big movies. So, and of course, yeah. the smallest part. Well, it's not that small. It's pretty significant, actually. But it because it's part of a small part, a supporting role in a nineteen-hour snooze fest. It it's generally considered a, a a small part is his role in Reds, which was is also mm-hmm. very very memorable and kind of fits in here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's the and Warren then, Beatty again, connection because you know, they yep, go back the together thing. so there's um, little threads that you can see he's you know he's a crusty guy and if you do manage to get along with him on a project or more importantly if you create a project with him that's worthwhile he tends to show up again and again and again for you that's a, mm-hmm. that's a recurring theme of a lot of actors but he's definitely in that crew so it's kind of cool well, speaking of showing up over and over and over again, uh, our number eight film is uh, one of his iconic, you know, one of his iconic villains that he gets to play and he has played in his career. Uh, and that is his role as Lex Luthor in Superman. Well, this is really his first comedy, I think. And he's a comedic character in it in a really true sense. Everything he he has to do in Superman other than a couple of rather cold hearted bits. It is mostly just zany comedy. Him and Valerie Perrine and Ned Beatty have the, are a comedy team. And 
it's it, it the movie needs that. It has sort of this unknown star playing a rather uh you know, upright. I don't want to say it's boring because Christopher Reeves a delight in it. He gets to do plenty of comedy as well. But it, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, Superman. One of the challenges of Superman is what do you, you know, we talked about it back in our sort of DC extended universe things. What do you, what challenges can you, the writer, come up for Superman? It's like the writer has to be the villain in this case for pretty much all of them. You've got to come up with the master plan that can actually thwart this guy that could literally do everything imaginable to stop it yeah it's hard it's a big task and it's tough for any writers but the, the from a tonal standpoint especially in 1978 because there's a lot of really cool things in superman the motion picture but it, it, it could deserve a deep dive someday but one of the neatest is those two big above the title stars that aren't superman the first one being Top build Marlon Brando and the Brando. second being Gene Hackman and Hackman's fantastic in it, and he's really fantastic in it. And in the scenes that he shot with Richard Donner for the sequel, which is all of the scenes he see him appear in, he's also fantastic in Superman yeah. two too. He yeah he didn't come back and shoot Superman two. You know him and John Williams and a bunch of people when Donner was fired just said, "You got what you got." You know, kind of in some, yep. with solidarity to the director, they kind of didn't, wouldn't ADR, wouldn't do anything for the sequel. So they have mm. a sound alike for him and stuff, and they have all these overdubs and weird crap that make all the <laughs> things that make Superman too awful that people seem to overlook anyway. But in right. Superman, it's really special. It, that's a special, big, late 70s event movie, and there's nothing... You know, there's only a tiny little handful of those, you know. Right. To me, that that's um, why yeah. that's why it's so neat. And his like we like Joel again, like Joel said, his job is to come in, absolutely take stage. Even in his scenes with Superman, Superman doesn't really get a word in edgewise for the most part. It's 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 all on him and he's a superstar in it, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, again, yeah, give Christopher Reeve credit to or and Donner for uh, you know sort of directing him this way. It's not there isn't a lot of Superman reacting even to it. He, you know, he again, he's just sort of like I'm going to let you know. I, it, from a from a character standpoint, Superman is like I'm just going to let him go because I can stop him at any moment. But I am a little intrigued by this guy, and <laughs> right. from a, from but you know, but what from a from a movie making a storytelling standpoint it lets it just lets this this character just go and be you know kind of off the rails and you're right you you hit it on the head there's a comedy trio of uh um uh, of him and and ned Beatty and uh miss tessmacher what is uh who plays valerie perrine yeah thank you and um and um yeah and it's and it's really great um yeah, he. I mean, he he's really great, and he has it. You know, he, because he's Gene Hackman, he he does have like this little. He, he can easily sort of keep a sinisterness behind his eyes. But this is, you know, this is comic. This this was comic book movie before. You know, we we started thinking of comic books differently. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, you're right. The movie absolutely absolutely needs it. I, I think about some of the. I, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember like really slapsticky stuff from the first movie. I really like. I remember in this in Superman two, 
the like him getting off the snowmobile uh in um, although again that's not uh, him nor is it his voice though all the whole snowmobile thing was an add-in without hackman oh that wasn't oh i didn't realize that was one of them oh bummer yeah, but, um, all right. but I'm following you. There is actually, when you go back and watch Superman 78, and it, especially if you watch the TV version, because in the TV version, the missile heist, which is just a few scenes in the theatrical version, goes on forever. And it's just yep. one dumb, goofy screw up after another. <laughs> and uh, that was wisely edited down. It's the worst part of the TV cut of it is all that stuff. Don't need any of it. You know, a little mm. comedy goes a long way, but the you know the stuff with the staircase and it, it, Ned Beatty does most of the heavy comedy lifting in it, really. Yeah. But yeah, but it's all it's comedy. It's all timing. You know, so even though Hackman's being the straight man to a certain degree amongst his own comedy trio, it that's still a crucial role, and he he nails all of it. It's so great. All of his weird yeah. puns to Superman and stuff are you know like he's. He he just and then of course none of it really works out. It's it's he's fantastic in it. My favorite story about Gene Hackman and Superman was he had this iconic, truly iconic late seventies mustache. Hackman, if you look at the shingle for our show, you'll get a good look at it in one of its grander phases. And and Richard Donner was like, hey man, you got we're we're gonna ask you to you know shave the mustache to play Lex Luthor. You know we don't you don't have to. You know, we don't have to sh shave your head or whatever. We're, we'll find a fun way around that. It's already kind of in the script, but you got, the mustache has got to go. And he's like, no, no, I'm not getting rid of the mustache. He's, he's, <laughs> he just wouldn't do it. He's like, no, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'll i take the four million bucks and, you know, this four weeks of work. But no, you can't have my mustache. And, and Dick was like, <laughs> this is another great late Richard Donner story. But he's like, okay, listen. If you shave your mustache, I'll shave mine, and we can send each other a photo, and then you know, within solidarity with you, because I get that you kind of don't want to do this. And of course, Richard Donner didn't have a mustache in 1978, so this is all just to put on or whatever. Um, we'll do a Superman episode someday. Yeah. Gene Hackman's because yeah, yeah, there's story after story after story. Gene Hackman's he's great in it though. I mean, he really is it in a way he held later Superman stories hostage with this version of Lex Luthor that he did because it really isn't right out of the comics. It's, 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 mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a lark. The film in Krypton and in Kansas, it takes its, and even at the end, the whole final disaster seventies disaster movie act takes itself very seriously. And that Metropolis is this fun comic book world come to life and a lot of that they do with the set design and some other incredible things but a lot of it just is in Clark Kent's presence and Margot's cr mm -hmm. crazy like uh uh like I don't know what's the sort of golden age of Hollywood heroine jibber jabber that she has yeah and, the Billy that Billy Wilder uh, yeah exactly yeah, say, and finally it's that it's it's the that really sort of understated and yet broadly appealing performance from Hackman. It's outstanding. He completely rides the fence to perfection in it. So it really is a, it may seem like a silly one to choose, but it, when you're watching it, I mean, you, it, you should be a little in awe of it. He's a, he's a big superstar oh, sure. at the time that the film needed and it's awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, Superman probably would have been a hit anyway, but it wouldn't. I don't know that we would be talking about it in such loving terms if it didn't. It have, needed all that stuff. Um, it was a big yeah. stew of a thing, and it needed every element. There's this mm-hmm. great moment, and why? And there's, and that's the other thing I like about it. it's comedy, but there's such subtlety. It's this great moment when, uh, when, um, and this could be just could have. It's it, you need to hit this. It's a punchline. It's a wordless punchline that he does in it. And yet, so you need to hit it. You can't just be super subtle about it. But he just makes sure that he's as subtle about it as he can be. Valerie's like, when he talks about his big land grab finale and he's sending these two missiles and the mm-hmm. first one's going to California. And he didn't even care where the second one's going to. Like, yeah, um, he says it's going to Hackensack, New Jersey. And Valerie, his, his uh, sidekick and, and lover, she's like, Lex... My mom lives in Hackensack. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> Jackman literally, this, sorry for the impression, but he goes, just shakes his head at her. Yep. And it's awesome. Yep. And that's it. And it's it's cruel and horrible, and yet it's funny, and it's hard to explain how kind of perfect that is. So I, we love his take right. on the character, which is a lot him. Uh, all right, number seven is uh, a movie that I have never seen, uh, which is why it was not on my list. Uh, and is this is where the, the I'll get scolded a little bit from Ryan because it meant that it fell down further uh, in the top 10 list. If than, we'd have both than, seen this, uh, it definitely would have been higher, but but only probably a little higher, uh, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and that is the Gene Hackman Al Pacino movie, Scarecrow. Uh, we talked about Scarecrow already during our seventies films or whatever that that's, it's only mm-hmm. a year ago and change that I actually saw Scarecrow. It came out on, um, on Blu-ray in high definition in the Warner archive collection. It's a film shot with Panavision cameras. So it's, even though it's a very subtle sort of character road trip film, uh, very Steinbeck-esque, um, it takes place in what at the time was a modern era, but it feels very much like a depression era road movie to me. That's, that's what, that what it has the feel of. And mm-hmm. I just raved about it in that episode. And it, to me, it's, it, it's got two things that, that are, that work miraculously. Cause the story is a little scattershot and seventies. It's a little slice of lifey. They go through all these little misadventures and it doesn't really feel like there's an aim to it necessarily, but that's, that's part of its charm. It also has one of those, you know, spoiler alert for Scarecrow, but also has one of those just harsh sort of, we talked about it a little bit with They Shoot Horses, don't they? It's, it's just really tough, downbeat ending that mm-hmm. that even though it sort of works and makes the film memorable, the film doesn't seem to earn fully in it. It just feels like, wow, that's, wow, you know. Um, but it's got Al Pacino, uh, it's one of my favorite Al Pacino performances of all time. And that's the key to this. Al shows up because he's with Hackman and it, that's why this film's so great. Hackman's unadulterated. This is unadulterated Gene Hackman. I really believe this is as close to like his inner self that you get to see in a film. Even though he plays this crabby guy who, according to the movie, uh, has a penchant for brawling. Um, He's always getting into fights with people over every little Mm -hmm. thing. 
Um, he eventually gets sent to work camp to jail over it. Um, he's it's just it, I just fantastic chemistry between two people. I can't tell you how amazing that is when you're watching it on screen, or how amazing it was to me. Al, who's was later in life, very much like the Hackman that we see in Scarecrow, which was he was this very kind of super into it, you know, really live guy. But in Scarecrow, he isn't. He's this weird little person who's who's. Uh, just sort of pokes and jokes and and Hackman and Hackman, you can tell even though he's crabby and grumpy the whole time and argues with him constantly, it, he he likes him. He just likes this weird dude. And because of that, they it becomes this buddy movie. There's this fantastic sequence where it's all in one shot. They're at a diner counter and ordering breakfast or whatever, and uh, this waitress comes out, and I don't, again, I don't know if the director did this deliberately, or if she did it deliberately, or if she did it by accident, and they just reacted to it in the moment, or what, but she just kind of puts everything down, and it's all wrong, and there's this move, thing where they're talking, and doing the scene, and moving everything on the counter around to get it in the right place before they eat it, and somewhere in there, while they're playing through this mess, he looks up at her and he goes, this is your first day? <laughs> <laughs> and there's something just so incredibly honest. And apparently it was, I read up on it, it was totally an improv thing. That it wasn't, you know, that this waitress actress was really, every take, she was annoying the hell out of him. And he gets this little jab into her that got in the movie. But I, I love it. I... I I love that film. I love Scarecrow. Like, and I've only seen it the one time and I only saw it a year ago, but I, it, it's one of those films where when you see it, you feel like it's been with you your whole life. It, you, you, <laughs> it trans, you know, I, I say that about pop songs too, right? If you've never heard a song from 1981 or whatever, but you, then you suddenly hear it and you like it and you listen to it 10 times. It's suddenly, it, it, the song and you do this magical thing where you travel back in time to when it was new and it becomes a thing that's been with you ever since then. You may not have connected until now, but I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining myself right, but I really do think that's a, a bit of magic that I love when I'm discovering old music and, and every once in a while a movie, a whole movie will do that. And Scarecrow definitely does because it's super 1973 or whatever, 74. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's awesome, and they're 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 Hackman's already sort of an established, you know, kind of like like we've talking about him in all these roles, an established leading man in a sort of grizzled and earthy way. But watching Pacino play the the comic sidekick is a just a delight. It's so cool, and what they bring out in each other is it's magic. I love it. I love that movie. Well, that's yeah. That's so. That's uh, I clearly need to. Uh... Well, that's my, make some, everybody make some needs time. to see it. It's I mean, If you like that sort of thing. If you don't like aimless sort of weird 70s mm -hmm. cinema, you know, I was just kind of ripping on Bonnie and Clyde because I feel like that's a movie that sort of lacks direction. <laughs> but but it, it does, it's punctuated with these iconic moments from cinema history that you can't really deny. So I, yeah. I dig it for that reason. But 
but I I liked this much more because it's much more it's much more of a human story about people that you really start to very much believe in and get invested in in this weird way. It works on you in a weird way that I really enjoy. Jerry Schatzberg, really good seventies and early eighties director, made that and it it's outstanding. All right, everybody, Scarecrow watching party over at my house. Come on over. Well, before um, you knew right. Pacino as a big Pacino as yeah. a, like Willie, it happens in Godfather too, and then there's no looking back after that. Yeah, you know he's a big superstar at that point. He's a movie star, and every time he shows up mm-hmm. in anything, for good or ill, it's usually for good. But it, he's a movie star, and this is the last chance for you to get to see him where he isn't a movie star, and it is amazing. Right. It's incredible. Uh, that's you know, a good point. so that's more of a. Mm-hmm. Uh, compliment to him maybe than hackman but hackman really is his sort of inner grouchy self it's all there on the surface and it he just brings a lot of himself to it it's an awesome performance it's the two of them it's one of their favorite movies that they did in their careers and yet very few people have seen it so well um another movie that uh that I haven't seen, and we come to find out that uh, that you haven't seen either. Um, is uh, is a movie that he was actually nominated for best supporting actor. It was his first, uh, or no, I'm sorry, his second nomination. Um, but it was it's a movie called "I Never Sang for My Father." Well, in one of those um, weird best supporting actor roles where he was the lead of the movie, he was just the second build to a more famous build, yep. guy. You know, so they got it yep. flipped. That happens a lot in movie history. We won't talk about them. But that, to me, it's Hackman's movie. But uh, beyond that, I can't say much about it. Joel and I, neither of us have seen it. But when um, when I accidentally asked our crew about it, more than one person brought that up. So we thought, we'll uh-huh. get it here on the list near Scarecrow, right. which is another sort of lost right. and as we were film. And as and as Ryan and I were both putting together our list, and you know we're looking at different lists to sort of refresh our memory of the you know the career of Gene Hackman, it popped up over and over again, and I'm like I've never even heard, and and I gotta say, <clears throat> I had never. Uh, I, by, I, if I'm being honest, I hadn't heard of it either. I only yeah. know what I read in the last couple of days. Oh, um, I gotta say that there is, and maybe uh, if I get around to it, I'll post it. Um, on our Facebook page, but like there's on, on uh, one of the edges of my on Wikipedia, IMDb, this is on Wikipedia. Actually, they have a, uh, the poster for this movie actually just says, yes, I never sang. My father is a wonderful motion picture. And then it just lists all of these critics who gave it positive reviews. So it doesn't even say anything about the movie. It just, it's like, no, no, seriously, people, this is a good film. You should see it. That's that's what it's like. Oh yeah, nobody probably went and saw this because it probably is depressing as hell. But yeah, maybe um, it, it, it yeah. looks good. We based need I need play. to get it on the list for sure. So yeah, based on a play, uh, yeah. So it's good. Okay, um, moving on. Number six is um, one of my is one of my favorite performances. This one I believe was number two on my list, um, and it's and it's in one Four of my three, favorite movies. Maybe three, two or three. Yeah. It was high on your uh, list, higher on your list than yep. mine. Although it was on my list, I really do like it. Um, this there's is, a, uh, there's a drop off to, to from this to Scarecrow in the voting because Scarecrow was only voted on one guy. I voted it high, but not super high. Uh, right. These all these next movies, you can kind of consider this the list, starting with this one. Sure. 
So um, maybe it feels it's low, one of, but it, it, it really is in that elite clump where we all agree this is the stuff right here. Yeah. Um, but this is uh, this is one of my uh, one of my favorite movies uh, and one of my favorite performances by him. And that's the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Wes Anderson's film. Uh, what year was that? 2001. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I freely admit I'm a sucker for Wes Anderson. Uh, I think his movies are, you know, unique and uh, Me too. super fun to watch. And yep. um, and Royal Tenenbaums is this family drama comedy, uh, you know, um, that is, uh, you know, that's all centered on <laughs> this one guy, Royal Tenenbaum, uh, who has just he has just absolutely dominated the psyche of every single person um in his uh in his life um in most and in most in most cases damaged them um to to different uh but also but also allowed them to be these crazy people that they are that you know which which is the delight of the film yeah um and this is uh, unlike lex luther who is kind of a straight man within his own comedy team this is a real true comedic performance i mean it it really is it it he's not playing the old crusty straight man there is no gene hackman bluster in this guy at all this guy's this he's a con artist really and everything he does is sneaky and manipulative and he uses his charm rather than his authority to get what he wants and it's 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 really well written part and he really it's like disappears into it in an incredible way so i'm a big fan of this too this is also the era of wes anderson films where the films they don't really have this anymore the the films today are full of whimsy and fun and they have some they bitch slap you a little bit in, into some harsh realities about the world but these early, the early Wes Anderson films Rushmore and Bottle Rocket this had a core of deep sadness to them and yeah. this this maybe t- even typifies that this might be the the saddest of the fun Wes Anderson films if that makes any sense. You're, and no, because, you're absolutely right. And, you're absolutely right. And he he doesn't he plays a character who doesn't let us in on that, and yet it's there nonetheless. And you know there are characters that do sort of let us into what they're going through and stuff. Uh, it's you know it's Luke Wilson's best film. Um, it, it but it starts with this enigmatic head of the family and what a prize they got in Hackman and how uh, just what a spark it is to see him knowing he's doing stuff that's different and interesting and cool. Like it, it, you could feel the enthusiasm Mm -hmm. for the the work in a great way. So I, I'm I'm sorry if I buried it, you know, here out of the top five or whatever, but I feel like, there's nothing wrong with it. It really is outstanding. I just think some of the other things are maybe a little more in his wheelhouse and therefore a little more impactful to his career. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, obviously I had it super high on my list, uh, and, but no, you're right. That's what happens when you have a guy who does the, the breadth of work as Gene Hackman. Great movies are going to be at number six, right? Great movies are going to, you know, fall down the list. That it really is. Um, 
you know, it's no slight. We're still, it's still the sixth best. You know, we're we're calling it. Yeah, he's got a hundred. He has a hundred and two screen credits. So this is number six. So we're loving it. Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, he he yeah, I, I. I love this movie. I love him. Um, it's there, there's, there are moments where he's just so despicable and gross. And there are moments where you're just like, I, you know, it, where he's so funny and you love him. And, but it's, it's the moments where trot, he's, you know, where he's both that is just, yeah. you know, that's what makes an interesting, fascinating character. Cause he is, yeah. he is slippery and gross and he is lovable. And you do sort of get that this, that, this is, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but that this is his disease and that he coasts yeah. through life with a smile on his face, just ripping people off monetarily and emotionally. And oh, that's yep. That's can't a be point. changed. Yep, you know, he won't, he can't be changed. And that's part of what it is to be in a family. This is it, family is extreme and it's eccentricity, but, but the, the theme there is that it's part of what it is to be in a family. It really is. You have to, whatever this stuff is, however you've been wronged, you do kind of have to get over it to continue. You just, that's, you're forced to do that or, or it's not a family at all. And I love that sort of message Mm -hmm. in the film. And it, it definitely starts at the top with him. He's outstanding in it. Uh, a few movies that didn't make uh, that didn't make the list that are are really terrific movies. Well, late great late era him. comedies, uh, right? He, yeah. He, he, as he, as right. his career was winding down, he was doing more. Ton of bombs is a comedy with some real substance to it, but he was doing more mm-hmm. lighter things. You could you know you could tell he was drawn to that more, and so I sort of put this stuff here, at least. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have postcards from the edge. Um, you know, obviously uh, terrific. Mike, Mike Nichols, um, Carrie Fisher's yep. sort of autobiography, really good movie. Um, and uh, and uh, the Birdcage, uh, the he's fantastic um, you know, in the Birdcage. Another, yeah, another comedic performance. You know, he's brought in to be this senator that has all this presence and that you believe is this guy. And by the end of the movie, he's just he's just one of this weird, crazy crew that we've been spending the whole film with. Another Mike Nichols yeah. film. I mean. I, We've talked about our love for the Birdcage before. It's one of our absolute favorite Robin Williams performances. It's everybody's, but mm-hmm. I think it was an inordinately high on our list because of how, because of the depth of humanity that he brings to that guy. And it's really fun to be watching a Robin Williams movie where Gene Hackman is the weird comedic clown and Robin Williams is the straight man trying to figure everything out. Yeah. You're That's, absolutely right. Yeah, because he's played the straight man to Gene Hackman. He plays the straight man to Nathan, Nathan Lane, Lane to, played, to, Hank Azaria. to Hank Azaria. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's it's um yeah. He 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 has those couple moments where he gets to do a Robin Williams thing. So it's like, yeah, my fans need this, so I need to be able to do like <laughs> right. this. The choreography, the fussy, fussy, fussy. You know that yeah, whole, but- that thing that's iconic but no you're right for the most part robin williams is absolutely he is the 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 the, the steady and everything else is around and it's hackman, hackman um, has this fantastic scene where he's trying is, to relate to these guys and be polite and he's just talking about the foliage he says that word like 11 times in the scene the, fo- <laughs> the foliage <laughs> yeah uh it has uh, really excellent foliage you know any yep. for you i wasn't really following at first but he's talking about the trees in new england changing colors and stuff and he's you know it's it 
I just don't know how to explain it. It's so delightful. He's really, really great in it. He's really great in Birdcage, so I wanted to have that, sneak that in here someplace. Um, and, you know, and another movie, uh, now this is a movie uh, I, I, you know, for, I have my, you know, I just don't really care for this movie, but uh, Get Shorty. Um, oh, yeah. I, I do acknowledge that he, you know, he's super, he's super fun in Get Shorty. He's, uh, you know, it's, a, uh, you know, Barry Sonnenfeld movie, Barry Sonnenfeld, right? Yep. It's yeah, a, yeah. it's a, who's the author of the book. It's really Elmore his, Leonard. Yeah, yeah. It's an Elmore, Elmore Leonard, Leonard movie. And for an Elmore Leonard movie, it's on the lighter side of definitely of Leonard. Yeah. And it requires, uh, I, Hackman isn't the problem or Danny DeVito. The pro, the problem I think is Travolta at, at, at the height of his superstar powers. He, he's, he's into it, but it, with a, better actor who would be willing to play that guy as more of a person i think you'd have had a better film but i'm with you on get shorty i don't love it but i do enjoy it it's very enjoyable it's a very nice mix of the crime dramas of the era and the comedies of the era and hackman's outstanding in it so yeah hackman's great yeah you know so yeah it's you know i you you could make an argument that it is one of his better performances. I just didn't care for the movie enough to to even want to talk about it. <laughs> but, I feel um, like we have to mention it, but yeah, we, we, but no, we you're go. right. We, we have to mention it. it. We <laughs> mentioned it. All we right, number five. Number five is uh, you know one of it is well it is um, it is one of the top sports movies of all time. Um, I think people right. would put it really, really high up on right that up list. there at the top for sure. Yep. Um, and it is, and it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, one of his, uh, his kind of iconic roles. Um, and it's, uh, it's the 1986 movie Hoosiers. Um, yeah. And what, you know, what, what he's the basketball, what, what is he's a high school, about high school? It's, right. It's high school, right? Yeah, high, school high school basketball yep, high school. coach in a period sports film. And I mean, you almost don't need to go into how awesome he is because that role sells itself. Any of these sports films that you've seen, the coach is the thing. Often they're the central thing, like they pretty much are in Hoosiers, although it's got a really nice supporting ensemble that makes the whole thing really, really work. But the, I think it's fair to say that the coach is the central character. And the coach is this god-like thing it's hard to explain but the film allows a little bit of a look into who he is as a person but what he is Mm -hmm. primarily is a coach and you can get lost in that and the film can stop being interesting when when that's all it is and it just never ever does in his hands he's riveting in it in every scene that he's in it's just an extraordinary film and it it you know it it makes you stand up and cheer at the end like you should at the end of a sports movie it it really is it really is awesome i had a i i you know it, it on points it and tannenbaum sort of tied and i sort of broke the tie with hoosiers cuz i think i think hoosiers well, it is, is i mean hoosiers is more of a poster work of of hackman and and the next film too in it very much the same way from the same era i just feel like this these are the roles he was meant to play it's delightful mm-hmm. how he surprises us in royal ton bombs and how the movie surprises us but but these these sort of late 80s uh yeah this is this is gene at the absolute height of his power at the height of his um, like using his movie star charisma to to like to just really add gravity to 
everything, um, everything so he's in, at, you know, uh, yeah. at, at this yeah. time. And, and this, this Hoosiers is fantastic. It's yeah. Like, I mean, it's that great. It's, you know, he's got this great, you know, redemption story. Um, but at the heart of it, at the heart of the entire movie always is his love of the sport and his love of these uh, young men that are, uh, you know, that this team, the love of team, the love of the idea of team. You can tell that that, you know, and that that overrides everything. And, you know, it's got I was just what, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, you know, Ted Lasso, uh, <laughs> they totally uh, stole a Hoosiers bit, you know, the, the bit where they walk into the giant stadium and and he's like, <laughs> and he's like, hand, hand me that tape measure. He's like the court, you know, the bat, the basket is still 10 feet high. And blah blah blah. And Ted Lasso did it. And of course, in England, all the soccer pitches are different sizes. So he's like, he goes, "Give me the tape measure." And and he's like, "This, I think you'll find that this pitch is the same as as ours at AFC Richmond." And and then Coach Beers is like, uh, "No, actually, it's uh, it's it's twenty yards wider on each side." What? Oh man. Okay. You know, America. Well, yeah. I haven't seen Ted Lasso, but you can just keep performing it for me every week if you want it's yeah i enjoy that very much it's a great yeah. it's it's a great scene and that's a great yeah take it's a great setup on that great scene. Reversal yeah, on it. yeah but that when he does that um, he's like this it's just it's just so play great. the game it's all about the game yeah it's it's so wonderful in, um, in u571 right. um, the submarine movie harvey Keitel has this great speech where he's telling matthew mcconaughey that he's he's the He's not a member of the crew anymore. He's the commanding officer. And, the, and he's got this phrase that he says, the commanding officer is a great and terrible thing. <laughs> you know, and he's trying to get this kid yeah. who's obviously capable, but still trying to get him to grow up a little bit and understand that if he doesn't know what's going on, then keep it to himself and just keep barking orders at people that you have to be that now. Yeah. And it makes me think of Hackman and Hoosiers and, you know, he's, he's, He's a he's an inspiring guy and he's a nurturing guy in a lot of ways, but he's a that coach in Hoosiers is a great and terrible thing, and you just yes, you just <laughs> you know go along and to greatness or get out. It's I love it. Mm -hmm. It's really really cool. It's as cool that part's been played a million times by a million people, and it's as good in Hoosiers as it ever was, and so that's yep. why it's here. Absolutely. Um, all right. And uh, a couple other films, his next film right uh, after this, I believe um, it was uh, no way out. Um, he's you know, fantastic in no way out. He's yeah. He's really, really good in it. He's really super good in it. it it's, it's, that's a fantastic performance in a slightly slighter film um, where he's not even the star because even in his own scenes, Will Patton is basically chewing the scenery to, to pieces. Yeah. So Hackman, but it's this great mix of this guy who's this powerful man in Hollywood who does this crazy thing and just becomes reduced to a useless pile of rubble for the rest of the film. And his willingness to play that, the ugliness of that, the jealousy of it, the pettiness of this guy, um, and to, to lean into that, to lean into the tough-nosed Senator Arms Committee chairman who's also this just pathetic abusive frightened loser and that you get it all in the course of a film is extraordinary yeah. so i love yeah. that we we brought up we brought up no way out several times on this show over the last few years and so if you are you know for some reason if you are someone our age and missed it in the 80s when it came out uh it is worth 
Fantastic if you techno, are a younger techno thriller from the eighties. Really, yeah. really yeah. good. It's really great. Uh, other or movies, if, if you uh, have some here. aversion to Costner for some reason, a lot of people do. Uh, this this one's not the one to skip. He's as good in it as he is in anything. Yep. Yeah, you know what? These are the guys. Yeah, be careful if you don't like Kevin Costner. Be careful watching No Way Out. Be careful watching uh, A Perfect Place um, because you'll end up going, oh, yeah, no, he's a great actor. Perfect World. Um, sorry, Dana. I'm oh, sorry. Perfect World. Thank you. Perfect World. But, but you're um, damn right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it's it's easy to, to use them as a punching bag if you've never seen those movies because <laughs> you've seen those movies and you're like, Oh, damn. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, other movies, uh, Class Action, the Michael Apted film um, with Mary uh, Elizabeth yeah. Mastrotonio. We talked about that during Michael Apted mm -hmm. episode. It's a fantastic family drama, courtroom drama. One of those yep. lost kind of films, even at that time, was, you know, they were everywhere, but they were beginning to be lost. That's a wonderful movie with him and Mary Elizabeth Mastrotonio play estranged father and daughter who are duking it out in a class action lawsuit and bringing yep. all of their troubled family history with them. And it's a really good film. Not great, but really, really good. Really good. Um, and, and, uh, and Gene Hackman in the firm, uh, the uh, Tom Cruise, Sidney Pollack, uh, John Grisham. He's fantastic uh, in the firm. He's really great in the firm. A, uh, a little bit yeah. of it of what I'm talking about, although in the firm it's even stronger, but it, a little bit of what I'm talking about in no way out, but in the firm, he's, he's not a guy who's, he's not a complete hypocrite. <laughs> he's a guy mm -hmm. who has some good qualities. Who's lost his soul and has totally lost his soul and is grappling, even though this is really isn't part of the movie. We see it as part of the performance is grappling with that idea the whole time yeah. and make some surprising decisions. And I really think he's outstanding in that movie. Hard to imagine yeah. anyone else, in fact, playing that role, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Um, all right. Uh, and his number, uh, our number four movie is maybe his most despicable role. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, he's a pretty horrible dude. Uh, but it's uh, his role as, um, uh, what the character's name, oh my God, uh, FBI agent Rupert Anderson in Mississippi Burning. You think he's despicable? He's pretty despicable. Well, he is, but he also, he's also the wish fulfillment alpha male in the story for us. Like he's the only guy who brings ultimately any, illusion of justice to this incredibly terrible tragic situation it's willem defoe's buttoned up tight you know j edgar hoover protege that actually breaks down based on all the racial hatred and all the just awful murderous stuff going on in this mississippi town to his way of thinking to finally bring somebody to justice over these this these murders that happened you know, Mississippi Burning is an Alan Parker. We talked about it in our Alan Parker episode mm -hmm. briefly. It's and it's it's a movie about racial tensions that has almost no named African American characters in it. Which, when you watch it now, that's the thing about it that makes me go, "Wow!" Although, even if they'd have insisted on that at the time, it would have just been one. Mm -hmm. Which wouldn't have, I don't think that almost made it worse. <laughs> it's hard to explain, right. but it it really is. 
uh, it's a racially charged crime story take from the white cops and the white racists' point of view, and the victims mm-hmm. are never well. I guess they're seen very briefly in flashback at the beginning, and and the the culture, the whole cu- African American culture in this in small town Mississippi during the uh, early sixties is shown. But they're shown as sort of these nameless, faceless victims, you know. The mm-hmm. the racist townspeople giving interviews for the news are featured more in that film than African Americans are. I so that's a it's a weird movie in that way, I'll give you that. But I, I never saw him as despicable. I just saw him I mean, that's not the term I would use. I get what you're saying. He's ruthless. Yeah. But he's bringing He's this avenging angel who's bringing accountability to this town, to these systems, and he's doing it in this way as this guy who's coming home to this horrible place. He's, uh, yeah. you know, he throws the N-word around just as much as anybody. He's a difficult guy, no doubt, but but he, he's, a, he's an old-school Wyatt Earp-style lawman who does get the job done, and I think that's... And again, I think Hackman plays him with a lot of humor and a lot of humanity that uh, uh, many other actors, there's some others who might be able to do it, but many other actors really struggle to bring across. You know, when he's torturing mm-hmm. Brad Dourif's character or whatever, I mean, I think we're all thoroughly on his side. The film gets you to the point where you want to see that happen. And that's weird. It maybe is despicable, Joel. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening to you describe that, and, I, and I, I'm finding myself agreeing. It's just, it's been, I haven't seen the movie in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and so I'm just, I'm just remembering the feelings that I had and just, you know, the whole movie, I, you just feel, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. But the movie, um, so, but the movie wants yeah. you to feel that none of that is by accident. Oh, yeah. It it's yeah no that's it it takes on these themes and these the things I'm talking about. It takes even on its flaws in a very direct way that it is still very very powerful when you watch it. But it is it is a 1988 movie about racial tensions with with like I say no no racial diversity really in its cast, just the extras, couple characters, one family a little bit. But that's secondary to it. And I'm sorry to do this. It's sidetracking an episode full of sidetracks. But Murder in Mississippi with Blair Underwood and Tom Hulse and Jennifer Grey. That's the prequel to to Mississippi Burning. And it's just a TV movie. But if it's out there, please see it. It is also outstanding. The two go together really, really well. And, oh, really? and to be fair, Murder in Mississippi is is about these again it's not really about the community it's about these activists these college kids who go down to this town to get black people registered to vote and all this stuff and i mean and they mm-hmm. just have no idea what they're getting into they've entered yeah. into a, a horrible world a, a despicable world really it, um yeah let's uh so let's let's uh quick talk about um a couple other movies on this list the next movie that he did after mississippi burning is called the package with uh tommy lee jones he's done a lot of military roles in a lot of military movies um this is one that i have not seen you're in for a treat joel i have not seen them you're in for a treat the package is really really good it's fun 
in a lot of ways, it's as good as any of these. It's it's more of a lighter entertainment, but it's Andrew Davis who made uh, The Fugitive, amongst other things, mm-hmm. and it's very much a fugitive quality story where I, I it's a twisty, turny sort of conspiracy story, so I won't l- give you too much about it, but Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones are really, really well-balanced protagonist and antagonist and the plot is labyrinthian and fun and uh and hackman you know his from his days as a marine when he shows up as a military sure. guy in a film it's something to see yeah it's, he it's he, yeah he he takes it seriously when he's uh and this is a great he did a bunch of these espionage slash military slash crime stories is is his career really was more about films like the package than it was about these highlights so i wanted right. to kind of get it in as the quintessential hackman yeah, side the, film the other the other movie that we have in here narrow margin that's uh yeah very very similar to this trying to keep a, right. that, the remake a, of the the you know the hostage on a train film or whatever he's right he's super fun in that yeah i narrow yeah. margin's really fun yeah, Hitchcockian. It's sort of Hitchcockian, but it's sort of not. It's hard to explain. It's mm-hmm. it's like a cheap B crime movie, but it's basically, I don't know. It's well, it's about, I mean, it's really good. I mean, like if if you're sitting there going, God, you know, I I need an Ann Archer fix. There you go. Watch watch Narrow Margin. She's never better. No, she's great. I love Ann Archer. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, so I, you know, I, of course, I typically don't. I think she doesn't let <laughs> us in. I don't think she lets us in very much. But the lady she plays in Narrow Margin is, and which is okay. I mean, it takes all kinds, right? Sometimes that really, really works. The 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 great thing about the woman in Narrow Margin is she's in completely over her head. And Hackman plays like the, who you know who Bruce Willis would have played fifteen years later. He plays the right. one man army against the the these crime lords and corrupt politicians and hired assassins they all come after them on this train and he's got to fight them all off and it's kind of awesome yep yep um i you know one of his we've talked about that we talked about this movie on our disaster movie um one of our disaster movie episodes when we were going through the the movies of the 70s um and uh, you know and it is it's again it's another big kind of uh, a touchstone moment in his career uh he carry you know he kind of carries in a lot of it carries this disaster movie and that's the poseidon adventure not not in our countdown but um you know a movie that we friend of the show michael it would be on number one on his list and we'd all be sitting here shaking our heads and going what are you talking about but but (laughs) but he would kill us if we didn't at least mention it and it is mentionable it really is he's really really good in it in fact the film is nothing but kids and famous old people at awkward stages in their career in formal attire without Hackman as the real action star of the thing and the real catalyst for the story. You, you got nothing. So it really is mm-hmm. the thing that makes it work. He's the, no offense to Ernest Borgnine and Shelley Winters. Like everybody in Poseidon is really good, but it, yeah. it, it falls apart without a, without a real actor playing of something of a central character that drives the thing along. That's yeah. Gene's job and the character's interesting and the performance is commanding. So, you know, yeah, you, you, yeah, you gotta have a linchpin. You gotta have someone who is the, the anchor for all of this stuff. And because later yeah. in later films where the linchpin is Charlton Heston, the films, pff, they're, they're not the same when it's Hackman. Yeah. 
you know, it's surrounded on all sides by movies with Oscar nominations and stuff, given it is all and committing to the material, it, it takes all those other people along for the ride. And that's nothing against Heston, who I kind of like, but when you've got him going, eh, baby, eh, it's just, it, it yeah. doesn't, mm-hmm. no, you can't grab onto the coattails of that in any meaningful way. It, Hackman and Poseidon Adventure brings everybody along for the ride, and it is awesome. And I really yeah. give him a lot of credit for its success. Partly um, the number... part the part is really well written too, which helps for a film. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, our number three film um, is a movie that you talked about on your solo sojourn um, into seventies conspiracy the films. I should have committed show of Joel and Ryan of all. <laughs> oh, just wait until I have to do my solo episode, <laughs> which at some, which I which I owe you at some point. Um, give you a week fun. off. Um, but yeah, it's the, it is Francis Ford Coppola's The Conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and if you want to know, Conversation you know, you was hear, number one on my list. Yeah, if you want to go, oh, was it? Yes. Yeah, uh, I mean, I it's a it's neither a tr- neither Joel nor I got our number ones. We both outvoted each other, so not too yep. far down the list, but uh, far enough down the list that that the number two rep- the number one film on our list represents something of a compromise between the two of us and sure. and it certainly is worthy of the spot these next three films are pretty incredible but mm-hmm. uh but I'll just get into conversation for its own sake this this is the most complex and tortured and interesting character that he's ever played and it's the character that makes the performance in this case because his usual tricks there some of them are in here he gets to he gets to yell and and bark at John Casale and he gets to do some of the Gene Hackman things that we're used to but mm-hmm. but there's just even though the story itself is the story is nothing it's a story you can't get to stay on a hanger in your closet it's just it's this weird obtuse conspiracy thing where you don't even really find out the answers very much so it's, Spoiler alert for for the conversation. Yeah. What makes it go is these weird this weird clown show that he's surrounded with, played by people you wouldn't expect. You know, Harrison Ford. It's it you know the it's just kind of amazing, and and it's the technical filmmaking is on such an incredibly high level. Robert Duvall, mm-hmm. John Casale, you know, who's brilliant in it, brilliant in everything he ever did. That that show is coming, I promise. If you can stand to listen to me for two hours, just trip over myself and weep with joy at the existence of a person, that will be the John Casale. I guess it'll have to be top five, right? What do you do? Five, six movies. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, every one of which were nominated for best picture at the Oscars. Sorry. Enough of John. Uh, yeah. But John John plays the like I was talking a little bit about Al Pacino in 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 Scarecrow. John plays a character who takes this insular, private, quiet, g- brooding guy and pokes at him. Just the story pokes at him. Terry Gar a little bit pokes at him, but Casale is the one who really like gets this dude's inner anger and tortured self to come out of his mouth, and and it's. It's the that tension that's in this movie, not so much some of the more blustery roles on either side of it, that I love so much about the conversation. I just that's 
I don't want to say it's underrated because there's people out there who believe, you know, cinephiles, they all think it's like mm-hmm. Coppola's best movie. It's the film he did on Paramount's dime in between Godfather movies. <laughs> he just, you know, he made this movie they didn't, yep. nobody cared about, nobody wanted, you know, but that he had, he's like, my reward is I want to do this movie. That's my reward for Godfather 1, and that's my price for shooting Godfather 2 for you people next. And a lot of guys find yeah. themselves, a lot of filmmakers find themselves in that situation. They just had the big monster hit. They can do anything they want. And this is such a little gem of a thing. And it, it's all, re- without Hackman, it's nothing. And again, could Jack Nicholson have been awesome in it? You know, probably, but it, yeah, it's one of those performances where you watch it and you're like, it just it, it could only be him, or it would be mm-hmm. diminished somehow. I I love it. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. It's it's good. Um. All right. Number two. Our oh wait. No, hold on. Make sure I'm not. Uh, yeah. No. Our number two film. Uh, was the movie that was number one on my list, and um, it is the most iconic of. Uh, in my, in my opinion, uh, I I mean I don't know. I, I, it's his most iconic, most yeah. well known. Just, just role. him it's in that thing hat. That it, Really, him, is, yep, him it, in the pork the pie trick. hat, and it is the French Connection. Um, yeah, William Friedkin, 1971. Earlier in the show, when Ryan and I were talking about him coming out of retirement to talk about talk about movie, that's what we're talking about. We're talking there the what is the 50th anniversary of uh, of, of William French Friedkin's Connection. The French Connection, and and uh, and that was <laughs> I don't want to say it was from a from a the fact that it was a big commercial movie and that the cinema verite in it and if you don't know what i mean when i say that it's this fly on the wall storytelling you know what i mean you it that mm-hmm. movie is really raw and really uh just feels very gritty and real the city feels very real Friedkin puts, you know, there's this scene in this bar and Friedkin puts the camera, he does it all in one shot. He puts the camera like all the way down the hallway where the restrooms are. So you can barely even hear what they're talking about. And you just feel like you're a witness to something dark and ugly and powerful as opposed to like all the other films of its time or the vast majority of the other films of their time, which were either full of gags kind of like Bonnie and Clyde. And it was this sort of collection of moments that were very mm-hmm. memorable, or they were these well-written things by people who learned how to write plays where they just had these very, this nice three act structure and character growth and stuff like this is this, even when he describes it in the interview, right? He just, he kind of is like, well, he's trying to do this. Like first to use the word trying, which I find is because you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's about drugs and it's about all this ugliness, but it's not this crime story with this main bad guy. It really is this sort of nebulous, this network is moving these narcotics into this area and this sort of thing. is It's all this. It's, it's a guy who just repeatedly through the ruthlessness that he shows a little bit of in, in Mississippi Burning, but without really any of the charm, you know. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. The, uh, what's the name of the character? I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm slipping. Popeye, Popeye Doyle. Popeye Doyle yeah. He's a blunt instrument to be used against criminals. Yeah. Um, and hats off to the, the brilliant Roy Scheider too, who plays a fantastic second banana to him in it, and and gives him something interesting to play off. The two of them together are outstanding. 
Yeah. So I like it. Yeah, but- it's. It's great. I mean, uh, you know, you talk about the the, the cinema verite uh, aspect of it, and everything. and you know, it's like when you watch the French Connection, it looks like, God dang, it just looks like they, you know, it, it looks like guerrilla filmmaking. It looks like they just went out, and that's because uh, it was, yeah. you know, it was it, 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 they, you know, they they shot a lot of these things um, illegally and right. just went out and did it, and yep. that's what a big thing of this article that uh, that we referenced earlier talked about when they where they're kind of revisiting French Connection after 50 years, um, and how that area of Brooklyn looks completely different. It's got one of the great car chases um, ever in movie history. It's a yep. car um, chasing a train, chasing a train. Yep. So it's um, yeah, but yeah, real uh, ever. <laughs> yeah. It's a car. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really car good. chasing it's... an elevated train to the next station through the streets of New York. It is. It is. It takes your breath away, um, yeah. and still does. And that's a sign of a great one. Joel always wants to do best car chases, but I feel like God, there's so many. It, right. It's one of those topics that yeah, I want to do that. Everyone would love that. We somehow did sword fights, but I just feel like God, there's a million. How do I choose best ones? It's impossible. It's like saying, hmm, best movie with. Uh, airplane in it or something. I don't know. It's just like it, it's too mm-hmm. many. But this would be best on the list. Best movie with jokes. Let's do a best movie with jokes in it. Excellent. <laughs> this would be on the list. This would be on the best yeah. car chases. That's one of the ones we're sure of. Um, maybe maybe we're over pimping it. You know, we've there have been some pretty amazing action sequences <laughs> since. But well, the, I mean, the every... reality of this and the danger that you feel during it, it's really is and the single-minded obsession that this guy has yeah it's yeah it is um uh you know it's it's the car chase sequences in the french connection and in bullet that's what sets the stage for every car you know every car chase after that every car sequence after that in any movies that is you know they become the hot the very high bar the very high baseline that that if you're going to do a car chase if you if you're not going to do it you know, remotely close to, you know, trying to do something unique or thrilling with it, um, like a bullet or a French connection, then what are you even doing? Just cut, don't cut the, cut the car chase then. Friedkin um, spent his whole career to some degree chasing that chase. There's an incredible chase in to live and die in LA. To, it, yep. There's an amazing slow speed car chase in Jade. You know, he, when he needed to uh-huh. step up and make a, 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 a chase sequence um even though they don't mm-hmm. none of them live up to the french connection they still are pretty remarkable each time he understood the lesson that wow you know i did this one that's gonna haunt me my you know and he made the exorcist yep. and stuff and he made all kinds of stuff he's super famous for so you don't feel bad for him but <laughs> it's you know <laughs> it, it is one of those things yeah. uh, if i had uh, you know, I didn't have French Connection too far down on my list. I think I had it fourth or something. But it, it, if I had it lower on my list, it's because this guy is, is even though his single-mindedness is, a, is an important part of the character and why a young Gene Hackman is really ideal to play him, it is a little one note compared to some of the other cooler things he did as he became a better and more nuanced actor. So I kind of, I, when I'm watching it, I'm always sort of aware of that. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. not really a criticism. It it is exactly right for the part. It's it, you know it's it's yeah. right up here at the top where it belongs. So you know yeah I well yeah I have no problem with it uh, being at number two. I get it. Same 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 thing that you know 
my Royal Tannenbaums was down at six. Same sort of thing. It's just yeah. personal preference. There, but we have we named um, anything since then that isn't super awesome. I mean, we really have. No, Wait. no, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. It's all of these. All of these. You were absolutely right. There's a from six to one. There's you know these these are all uh, uh, cinematic performance perfection. Yeah. <laughs> really, really, um, and they're unimpeachably great performances. So. And our number one film, um, as you said, it's kind of a compromise. Well, if every compromise neither of us had it number good, one, but, but but it's it was really high on both of our lists, yeah. um, and that is uh, his role in it Clint was Eastwood's it's number one because it's the one movie we totally agreed on on the list. The other one yeah. that got fourteen points that we split the vote on was was that what was that. Do you have the points? Uh, yep, 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 yep. We I chatted have. at seven. Uh, it was the uh, other uh, movie uh, we agreed on. <laughs> Mississippi Burn. Mississippi Burning was yeah. That, each, uh, we we chatted in the yeah. same spot on the list, and that got a, a nice little. Mm -hmm. It made it leapfrog a couple other films because of that. But this film, I'm sorry, I stole your thunder. Go ahead. No, uh, number one is uh, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. Uh, little Sheriff Little Bill Daggett. Um, and yeah, he's he's. You know, Little Bill is movie. a powerhouse of a cinematic character, and yeah, Hackman. So great. Every every wink, every movement, the the uh, the economy of genius in this performance is staggering when you watch it. Um, he, he's the perfect villain. Perfect villain, even though he's not even that villainous, really. Ultimately, yeah, he's he's still the perfect foil for a Clint Eastwood leading man who's going to be all those things we know Eastwood to be. He's going to be a man of little words, you know. And Eastwood is playing this burned out, old, tired version of his iconic gunslinger characters, which is, of course, what makes the movie. But and that those adventures, Morgan Freeman, uh, the 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 kid, I can't remember his name. He does did, stopped acting for some reason. Yeah, uh, uh, James Wolvet. Yeah, he, the, you know their their discussions and stuff are fantastic and are the the soul of the film. But the the place where the movie comes alive is is Gene Hackman and his his crew, his deputies, uh, Richard Harris, Saul Rubinek. It's him taking stage literally taking stage in these scenes and performing and teaching the lessons of the myth of the of the old west mm -hmm. in this incredible way that still rings true and that feels true about every western we've ever seen so hats off to david peoples for writing this guy because holy smokes but but you know uh Hackman won the Oscar for, for uh, French Connection first and then for, mm -hmm. later for this in and among several nominations for some of these other films. But he 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 is undeniably powerful late performance by him that I just it's just stunning. And it, it we listed them here, not really to talk about them, but it, it there was this flood of him acting in Westerns. He yeah. plays a, he plays a cheap B movie version of the same guy in uh, Quick and the Dead, in which is Quick and the Dead, really really fun. He was Wyatt Earp. He was the Earp brothers' father in the Wyatt Earp movie by Lawrence Kasdan. Um, mm -hmm. There's another one here that I'm forgetting. Geronimo, yeah, Geronimo. Oh, yeah, he's, but he's really good in Geronimo. Walter Hill's Geronimo. Mm -hmm. um, so it, that's kind of fun because he felt he felt both like he was 
rather commanding man of substance in these films, but he's also having fun in them. He's having a ton of fun in Unforgiven, and he's almost yeah. off the charts fun in Quick and the Dead. Quick and the Dead, yeah. Which it's, that it's part, role. that role, that movie wouldn't even exist without Unforgiven. I don't think. Oh, Maybe I'm yeah, wrong. Probably about not. It, yeah. But, um, so it's so Unforgiven in a lot of ways was the gift that kept on giving for a while there, which was really really mm-hmm. cool. Um, I don't know. What do you have to say about, it? I mean, little bill, he's just, well, he's, I mean, he's that single minded, you know, justice, justice, kind of, but costs. he's, he, and, his, and, his, and, his solutions as sheriffs are to keep the peace. You know, when these guys yeah. do this bad thing, his punishment for them isn't, it's extremely unreasonable. You know, if there's a villain in the movie and you can't, falter but if there's a villain in the movie i think it's francis fisher's character she's the one that will not let go an ounce even the victim of this terrible crime that happens early in the film is ready to take the nice horse and ready to sort of get on with her life (laughs) and francis has had enough she's this this she's this i hate to say this but she's because i don't want to equate what i just called a villain with this but she's this person who has is making a movement of justice for women on her own by her own force of will and will lie and cheat and do whatever it takes to get what she deems justice and that actually starts with little bill not wanting to kill and hang a bunch of people like you can tell his heart isn't really in doing that at the beginning of the movie yeah, yeah. which i love the catalyst they all starting out as being in retirement and wanting to give up this sort of gunslinger life. And because of this awful thing that this drunken asshole does, they all get pulled back in to their old and dark ways. Yeah. You could say that his um, unwillingness to do maybe what was necessary in the name of keeping the peace yeah. To, un, to to not do what was maybe necessary in the name of justice is ultimately what leads to you're, his, his You're his not even going to give his, him a whooping? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, it is... And again, yeah, I mean, and, and you can get into, well, the crime happened against a, a woman we, and the crime yeah, happened she, against she, a prostitute. Francis is so, so good therefore, it it's, We yeah. might be whores, but um, we're not horses. It's just yeah. really strong stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, that is our list. Um, let, let's point out a couple other movies that happened late in uh, later in his career. Um, I, I really love uh, uh, his his turn as uh, like a, a jury. What is this title? Uh, he's like a jury um, um, consultant. Yeah. Uh, in, in, runaway in a jury. runaway jury uh, where he, you know, he's penultimate like, you, you film hire performance. Me and, I- and it's 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 worthy of him. You know, it's a yeah. it's a light entertainment by comparison to some of these powerhouse films, but it it's it's a role that is very much worthy of him. He's outstanding, mm-hmm. in it. so I love Runaway Jury. Yep he uh, he plays uh, in he's in Heartbreakers uh, yeah, with again Sigourney very Weaver a very and... Royal Tannenbaum's esque performance. He's really really mm-hmm. fun in Heartbreakers, really having a good time, and you know, and then his final film, of course, also is a comedy. Welcome to Mooseport. Yep. Mooseport, which is as, uh, isn't great, but is cute. It is what it is. It's not bad. It's 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 lovely. It's it's runaway jury might have been a good way to go out. Royal Tannenbaum's would have been an exceptional final film. Welcome to mm-hmm. Mooseport isn't as good as those, but it it ain't bad. And 
No, it's, I mean, it's Donald Petrie. It, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a fun, it's fun tough. idea it's for a movie fun, yeah. and it's a fun send up of stuff. And, and it's, it's a movie about sort of losers and schlubs and the loser schlub within us. And it's not a bad film. And it, yeah, you know, it, they often talk about Hackman's last film and they want him to come back and do another one. They said for years about Sean Connery too, his contemporary. Geez, I hope, yeah. he, I hope League of Extraordinary Gentlemen isn't his last movie. Well, it was, and that's okay. So, yeah. Um, and you know, he has, he has come out, he did a couple, uh, he did, he narrated a couple documentaries, um, again about the Marines. Um, and that's his brother sounds just like him and does voiceovers for like United Airlines commercials and things like that throughout the years. Oh, get out. Whenever you think you're hearing Gene Hackman in a commercial, like doing a voiceover, I, I don't think his brother even does this anymore, but he, he did a bunch of them back in the day. Um, it's kind of fun. They 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 use him as a sound alike when they need one, which is kind of cool. Um, in two thousand one, uh, a scientist named uh, Roy Tucker uh, discovered an asteroid that had not been discovered and named it for Gene Hackman. What's it called, Gene Hackman? It it's called five five three nine seven Hackman. Cool name. So, yeah, it'll the probably asteroid. destroy us all one day. Maybe, maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be oh what a what a bummer that would be uh after this great nah, career after this be, great oh the great gifts he's given us and it's like hackman's cool. gonna hackman's gonna destroy us oh hackman's gonna crash into us and destroy us hackman's and the real life wolf beaterman it's gonna come kill us all. <laughs> uh all right that is our uh list of uh of the movies uh our top Gene Hackman movies um, disagree with us. Think agree that, with us? Uh, yeah, agree with us. Do you think that his cameo in Young Frankenstein should have been number one? Well, <laughs> let us know. Let us know on the movie show with Joel and Ryan Page on Facebook. We we ask, squeezed ask thirty movies in there. Is that's how yeah, many we we've at least mentioned? So you know, we feel like we did it justice. But if we missed a big one, you know, bring it on. I, there's a, still a couple of my favorites missing. There's a, there's a lot. I mean, yeah, again, the guys had a hundred and what did you say? 102 credits. Right. Um, so yeah. Um, movie show with ask, ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter, Instagram, and on TikTok. which at some point I'll get back to put, posting things on TikTok Woo-hoo. again. We're all waiting and, for uh, more TikToks from Joel. That's yeah. Sure. TikTok. Um, so yeah. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, comment below. We'll get back to you. Thank you so much. Like it. Um, you for, all yep. better like it or I swear I'm coming to your homes and doing something. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Some sort of trick uh, version you. of the trick or treat that's coming up. I'm going to do it because just we got to have those likes. We've got to have them. Now is the time. Step up. How's that for a motivating speech, Joel? <laughs> um, you know, Ryan, um, I'm here. Let me get the tape measure. And um, the Internet is the same size here as it is in Hollywood. So therefore people, you can go ahead and like and share and comment on this stuff and, and get the word out about the movie show with Joel and Ryan. And, and it will have just as much impact as it would in Hollywood. It's the same sort of thing. It's, well said. I, love that, I like that. I love That's you. a nicer approach than my threatening, yep. which Here. I guess I should probably take back. I won't come to you your know house. What? I don't even know where you live. You know what listeners, you know what listeners, I love you all. I love you guys.
Um, all right. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for this week. Next. Oh, next week we have next week's the big week, isn't it? Is it? Am I right? Uh, yeah. Halloween so, double uh, features with everybody. The Halloween double features. We're going to have uh, our screen is going to be jam packed of goodness. Uh, and and uh, yeah, so get get. Hey, looking. Joel, how many yeah. Halloween features have you watched? <laughs> I have watched four of them so far. Oh, good job. Yeah. I got to swing by your house and get uh, get a couple more. And I've watched, I've watched um, six of them, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, I yeah I watched four of them um, and have enjoyed I think two of them. Yeah. And, that should make for um, a heated discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we oh it's gonna be it's gonna be super fun. It's a, ho- a horror movie Halloween double feature that is coming up. We have uh, many friends of the show joining joining us, and it is going to be a good time. So until then, thank you all so much for joining us on the movie show with Joe and Ryan. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out.